You know, we've been walking through uh, the Gospel of Luke uh, for eight months now, uh, and we've been seeing different truths unveiled or, or revealed to us through God's Word of who our Savior is. You know, there are days that the world feels forsaken, right? Days that we may think, you know, depending on what's going on around us or what's going on in us, we may feel like God's just given up on the world. Or maybe uh, as we're wrestling with sin in our own lives, we may start to wonder, why hasn't God given up on me? Like, it, you know, if I'm honest with myself, uh, why hasn't He given up? Why hasn't He forsaken me or this world with the way that things are going? Our message today is a good reminder. Uh, it's a good reminder for us to hold on to, even if we're not in one of those days now, because we may find ourselves in those days. And so it's a good reminder for us uh, of who our Savior is. Turn with me to Luke 9. I've titled today's sermon, Jesus, the Son of God. And so as we look at the text today, uh, we're going to learn some wonderful truths about our Savior. Uh, and it's good news for every single one of us uh, to hear this truth about our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm going to read the text, Luke 9, verse 28 to 36, and then I'll pray for us. Luke 9, verse 28, about eight days after this conversation, he took along Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter and those who were with him were in a deep sleep, and when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two men who were standing with him, as the two men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud appeared and overshadowed them. They became afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my Son, the Chosen One. Listen to Him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They kept silent and, that, and at that time told no one what they had seen. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word. And as we do each week, confess it as true and we ask that you work to help us believe it. Amaze us again at the, at the Savior that you've provided for us, God. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts to help us understand and believe what we hear today. And then shape us into the people that you want us to be because of the truths that we hear today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before we get into the points of the text, I do want us to look at the central truth that we're holding on to. Uh, there's a central truth in this passage called the Transfiguration Passage. 
that is important for us and that kind of helps shape our thinking of the things that we see here about our Savior. And the true truth is this. Jesus is the divine Son of God. Jesus is the divine Son of God. Now, this isn't the first time we've seen this language about this being this man being God's Son. I mean, all the way back at the beginning of Luke, when we were walking through our Christmas series, we saw in Luke 1.35, Gabriel speaking to Mary, right? Before she had even conceived the child, and Gabriel says this in verse 35 of Luke 1, the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So before she even had the baby inside her, in her womb, the angel Gabriel has told her, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. And then at his baptism, uh, the Father speaks from heaven to Jesus directly. And we see these words in Luke 3, Verse 21 and 22, when all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with you. I am well pleased. So the father speaking from heaven to the son, you are my beloved son. I am pleased with you. I take joy in you. And then today, back in Luke 9, we have similar words to the words at his baptism, but instead of being spoken directly to Jesus, these words are spoken to the disciples that are there with him, Peter, John, and James. And so in 9:35, we see then a voice came from the cloud saying, "This is my son, the chosen one. Listen, to him. So Jesus is the Son of God. Gabriel declared it to Mary that this was to be. God spoke it to Jesus at his baptism and now at his transfiguration on the mountain with just a few of his disciples present. God declares to those disciples, This is my Son. He's the chosen one. Listen to him. Right? Jesus is God's Son. And Scripture goes on to confirm that the Son of God is the Divine Son, or what we would say, God the Son. So, in John, the beginning of John, which I love John 1, but the beginning of John, verse 1, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." And then skipping down to verse 14, the whole passage is beautiful, but verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so uh, Scripture goes on to reveal that the Son of God is the divine Son. He is God the Son. He was in the beginning with God and He was God. And so we confess what is called the Trinity. 
right here at Dogwood Church, that there is one God who exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so the passage today that we are looking at with the transfiguration in Luke 9 uh, is a declaration here from God the Father that Jesus is His Son. And that has tremendous implications for us. Every single one of us. And so as we consider this as the central truth, that Jesus is the divine Son of God, uh, we're going to use that to consider what this passage has to offer to us uh, and the beautiful truths that are there uh, about our Savior, Jesus. The first thing I want us to see from Luke 9 is this. uh, In Jesus, we see the glory of God. In Jesus, we see the glory of God. Of God. Let's look at verses 28 through 31 back in Luke 9. About eight days after this conversation, he took along Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. In Jesus, we see the glory of God. Now, the word glory is one of those terms that we see in the Bible, we hear in churches, but it's a really hard word for all of us to really kind of define what that is. Uh, John Piper defines God's glory as this, the infinite beauty and worth of God that is put on display for the world to see. Uh, the infinite beauty and worth of God that is put on display for the world to see. That is God's glory. It's something that uh, reveals to us when the world sees it, they recognize God is glorious, God is beautiful, God is worthy of all things. And so the psalmist declares, like, uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, so when you see those magnificent sunsets, there's things that we can see that points us to God's worth and God's beauty. That is His glory. And so in this text, we're seeing that in Jesus, we see the glory of God. Last week, uh, you know, Jesus, we were looking at uh, the passage where uh, Peter confessed Jesus as the Messiah, right? Jesus asked his disciples, so who do the crowd say that I am? And there were the different answers. Uh, And then Jesus made it personal and said, yeah, but, but who do you Say that I am. Who do you say that I am? Who do you confess me to be? And Peter, speaking for the disciples, said, "You're God's Messiah, right? You're the you're the promised deliverer. Like we recognize this, and that was correct. Uh, there's more to that uh, that they didn't fully understand, and and weren't going to fully understand until later on in their lives, but." Last week, we see the confession of Jesus being God's Messiah, uh, and then Jesus telling them, predicting that uh, He has to die first. He's going to suffer, He's going to be rejected, and He's going to die, but then He will be resurrected 
on the third day. Uh, and then he talks to the disciples about, if you want to follow me, that's a life of sacrifice. That's a life of denying yourselves. You have to daily take up your cross. And so last week, we have all of that conversation going on. And that ties us to verse 28, about eight days after this conversation. So Luke pointing out. So when all of that took place, uh, eight days later, this scene unfolds. And so eight days after the conversation, he takes along Peter, John, and James, and they go up on the mountain to pray. Uh, one of the commentaries I was reading this week pointed out, like any time Scripture, Luke and all the Gospels, but especially in Luke, any time it pauses to note that Jesus is going off to pray, something really significant is about to take place. Uh, and so that's the same that we see here. So in the discussion where Peter declares that Jesus is God's Messiah, eight days later... Uh, they go up on the mountaintop, Peter, James, and John, and they go to pray. And Jesus is praying, and as he is praying, his appearance starts to change. The look on his face changes, uh, and not only his physical appearance, but even his clothing becomes a dazzling white uh, I think it's the NIV kind of captures the wording there because his clothes became uh, like a flash of lightning is the language that's there. Uh, so it's not like he had, had just a little soft glow around him. Uh, it was this magnificent blaze of light shining as Jesus was praying. This is gonna, this whole scene is gonna tie back to a lot of what we see in some of the stories of the Old Testament. Uh, if you remember when Moses came down from Sinai with the law, uh, when he came down from the mountain, his face had changed. The appearance of, of Moses' face had changed because he was a reflection of the glory of God. So Jesus is praying and he is transfigured. Uh, now there's a difference here because Moses, when he came down, he was reflecting God's glory. He changed because there was like a reflection of what he had experienced in, uh, in experiencing God. But here, this is Jesus' glory that is on display, which is the glory of God. Because in Jesus, we see God's glory. And so Jesus has his own glory on display through this. Peter, James, and John are asleep. Now these are the same guys who, uh, the night that he's betrayed, uh, were also supposed to be praying with him and were asleep. Uh, and so G Jesus is picking the wrong prayer partners, I guess. Like they, this is a common practice for them. Uh, but so they are asleep and they wake up and they see the glory of Jesus. They, their eyes are open and once they fully are awake, they see this change that's taken place and they see the glory of God that is in Jesus Christ because He is the divine Son. And so suddenly, two men in verse 30 are with them, Moses and Elijah, 
they appeared in glory and they were speaking of his departure, which was about, he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Moses and Elijah representing two significant individuals and two significant time periods of the Old Testament. Moses representing the law because he recorded the law of God to give to the people. Uh, Elijah, uh, one of the major prophets of the Old Testament, uh, both faithful men of God. And so uh, Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets, and they are present at the transfiguration, likely to say, like, in Jesus we have kind of the pinnacle of God's plan of everything that the law was pointing to and everything that the prophets were saying was to come to pass. It's coming in Jesus Christ. It has come in Jesus Christ. And then in verse 31, they are talking with Jesus about His departure that He's going to accomplish in Jerusalem. Uh, Talking about His death and burial and then eventually His resurrection and ascension back to the Father. Another reminder to us that what was going to happen to Jesus in His ministry, His rejection and His crucifixion was not a surprise. It was part of the plan. It's what He came to accomplish so that we could be saved. And so Moses and Elijah are there with Jesus talking with Jesus about that plan, about the unveiling of all that God was doing and sending His Son to redeem lost man. And so this scene where Jesus was transfigured and His appearance of His face has changed and His clothes are shining with this radiant flash of lightning is a reminder that in Jesus we see God's glory. God's glory is displayed in the divine Son of God. The book of Colossians says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And then in Hebrews, we see these words. Hebrews 1, verse 3. The Son, that's speaking of Jesus, the Son is the radiance of God's glory. His exact expression of His nature, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After making purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. So the beginning of that verse again, the Son is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact expression of God's nature. Dane Ortland writes that it's in Him, in Jesus, we see heaven's eternal heart walking around on two legs in time and space. Right? This scene shows us that in Jesus we see the glory of God. And that's really good for us when we feel like we may be forsaken or we start to wonder why hasn't God forsaken us. It's really good news to know that God sent His Son and revealed His glory to us. That He would love us enough to send His Son and reveal Himself. We don't have to wonder what our God is like because Jesus came and revealed God to us. And so as we think about this reality, 
this truth concerning our Savior that in Jesus we see the glory of God. Let's continue to look to Jesus. Right? Let's continue to praise Him for His worth and for His beauty that He has shown to us in the divine Son of God. The second truth that we can see from this text in Luke 9 is this. In Jesus, we experience the presence of God. In Jesus, we experience the presence of God. Verses 32 and 33, back in Luke 9. Peter and those who were with him were in a deep sleep, and when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who were standing with him. As the two men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. So they are sleeping They wake up, they see Jesus' glory, Uh, they see the glory of God in Christ Jesus because Jesus is God the Son, and then they see Moses and Elijah there. Uh, Two men, in verse 33, it says they are about to leave. They are about to depart, and Peter speaks up. Uh, Peter often speaking up. Uh, He recognized what's happening is something magnificent, right? He says... Jesus, Master, this is good. Like, this is good for us to be right here. And he asked Jesus, like, can, I, can, we, shut, can we set up some shelters for y'all to stay? Can we, like, just stay right here and, and continue to witness what is taking place? So he recognizes that this is significant, but Luke goes on to say, he doesn't realize what he's, what he's requesting. He doesn't realize, he doesn't know exactly what he is saying. So either with that request, there's either a misunderstanding of what is taking place, or there is, uh, he's ignorant of the circumstances that are taking place. Whichever the case, he recognizes this is something significant. What is happening is amazing. And he asked Jesus if they could set up shelters. Now, this is one of those passages that, I mean, all of our passages tie back to the Old Testament. uh, But this is one of those passages that there is a parallel passage that really helps us understand what's being declared and what is happening in this scene. And that passage uh, is the passage concerning the tabernacle. Uh, the place of worship and the place where God dwelt with His people after, uh, you know, while they were on their exodus and while they traveled through the wilderness. And that story of the tabernacle helps us understand what is happening here with Jesus and what God is saying to us in this scene. And so the book of Exodus is where we find the the instruction concerning the tabernacle. And then in Exodus 40, at the end of the book, we see these words in verse 34 and 35. The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
Moses was unable to enter the tent meeting because of the cloud rested on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So Moses had been given detailed instructions. This is how you were going to create this tabernacle, this dwelling place for God. These are all the things that you need to do, all the ornate details of what it's going to look like. These are the people that are going to help you build it. And then this is how you consecrate it and prepare it for me. And after Moses completes all of that, the glory of God shows up. There's a physical manifestation in the presence of the people where they can see God's presence with them. There's a cloud that is there. The presence of God with His people. And the Scripture goes on to talk about in the, in the last couple of verses there that uh, that presence of God is what led them on their wilderness journey. For all of the time that they wandered around in the wilderness, God led them through the presence of the cloud, and then at night there was the presence of the fire in the cloud, and the people constantly had a visual representation of God with them. He was leading them. He was protecting them. He was guiding them step by step along the way. And so that parallel really helps us see the significance of this story back in Luke 9. There's three different kind of parallels to the story of the transfiguration. First, we see the glory of God is present in both of them, right? God's glory uh, dwelt in the tabernacle. And then uh, Jesus revealing the glory of God and, the, and Jesus, the disciples, waking up to see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And then uh, the second parallel is in the language that is used there when Peter asked, do you want us to build some shelters? And the word that is used there when he asked for the shelters is the same Greek word that is the translation for tabernacle. Do you want us to build some tabernacles, some dwelling places? And then lastly, the parallel of the cloud, which we'll see in the last section. There's a presence of God, a manifestation of God in the cloud that the people can see. And so these parallels help us understand that just as God was present with His people in the tabernacle, He is present with His people in His Son, Right? As Jesus, the divine Son of God, came, it truly was God with us. God had come and was dwelling with mankind. And what good news for a world that should be forsaken and often feels forsaken. And so we see words like Matthew. The prophets had said that this would be the case. But in Matthew... Uh, the angel speaking to Joseph reminds Joseph of what the prophets had said. Matthew 1 and verse 22, Now this all took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, 
the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. In Jesus, we experience the presence of God. The prophets had spoken it, and the angel reminds Joseph, don't forget, this was supposed to happen. This was part of the plan. This miraculous thing is going to take place. And God is actually going to be with man. Really with them. They were experiencing the presence of God in Jesus Christ, the divine Son. And so for us, let's continue to grow in our knowledge of God through our Savior, the Son of God. It's important that we don't think, and it's an easy thing to, to start to think, that God the Father and God the Son are, are different, right? Uh, the idea that uh, the Father was one way in the Old Testament, and then Jesus showed up in the New Testament and was something entirely different. And that is not true. That is not what Scripture says. That's actually an ancient heresy to confess them as being different. But we don't have that. Scripture tells us that Jesus Christ coming truly was God with man. God with us. He reveals God perfectly to us. And so let's continue to see that. Uh, let's continue to be amazed that God would choose to dwell with us. And then, of course, we know coming off the back of this story, right? After Jesus is crucified and resurrected and then uh, ascends back to heaven, at Pentecost He sends His Holy Spirit. And now we have the Spirit of God indwelling us. And so because of Jesus... Because of the Son and what He has come to do and what He has accomplished, we truly do experience the presence of God. And that's good news for us. The third thing I want us to see is in Jesus we have instruction from God. In Jesus we have instruction from God. Verses 34 to 36, back in Luke 9. While he was saying this, a cloud appeared and overshadowed them. They became afraid, and as they, entered the, as they entered the cloud, then a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my Son, the Chosen One. Listen to Him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They kept silent, and at that time told no one what they had seen. So as Peter is speaking these words... Jesus, this is good for us to be here. Do you want me to build shelters? We can build a shelter, one for each of you. As he's speaking about these things, a cloud appears and overshadows them. And it says, they are afraid. They are terrified. And then in verse 35, God the Father speaks to them. He declares to them, Peter, James, and John, who were there, this is my son. Jesus, the one that you are following, the one, Peter, that you confessed eight days ago as the Messiah. You were right. This is my Son. He is the Chosen One. But then He wasn't just also revealing that truth 
That's part of the purpose. But then he has something to tell them. But that because he is his son, there's something for them to do. And that something is listen to Jesus. This is my son. Listen to him. Learn from him. Obey him. Since He is the Son of God, since He is the divine Son of God, we should listen to Him. And that's the instruction from the Father, is to listen to Jesus. And then in verse 36, Jesus is alone. No more cloud. No more Elijah. No more Moses standing there. Just God the Son with them. Pointing to Jesus is greater than Moses. He is greater than Elijah. He fulfills all that the law and all that the prophets would say. And then it ends with saying, the disciples kept silent about this, right? They, they didn't fully understand this. They didn't understand everything that happened and everything that they were told, but they were told one thing that they did understand, which was, listen to Jesus. Learn from Jesus. Why? Because in Jesus we have instruction from God. As God the Son, we truly do have God's instruction to us on who God is and how we should live in response to that. Mike McKinley writes, We can and should have great confidence that everything that God wants to say to us is wrapped up in the person of Jesus. Everything that God wants to say to us is wrapped up in the person of Jesus. Back in Hebrews 1 again. Verse 1 and 2. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. God has appointed Him heir of all things and made the universe through Him. In these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son, by His Son. In Jesus, we have instruction from God. Now, that doesn't mean that we can ignore the prophets. That doesn't mean we ignore the law. That's not what that, that scene of the, the representatives of the, of the law and the prophets disappearing. That doesn't mean that we just let go of that. But it is that we need to understand that in Jesus we have the perfect instruction concerning the law, concerning what the prophets were saying was going to happen. And so we need to learn from Him. He came to fulfill the law. And His teachings concerning the law are direct instruction from God because He is God the Son. He came as a fulfillment of prophecy. So we need to learn how He fulfilled what God was doing in order to redeem us from our sin. And so let's put learning from Jesus as a priority. Right? Let's continue to recognize that He is the most important 
Word that should speak into our lives. We have life coaches. We have all kinds of options. We've got videos on YouTube. We've got all kinds of things that want to teach us. And sometimes they compete. We have direct words recorded from the Son of God who came and gave His life for us. We should learn from Him. So this week, I thought I would challenge us with, what if we just started with one of the sections where Jesus taught? Uh, What if we started with the Sermon on the Mount? That's just a couple of chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And what if we committed, hey, this week I'm going to read from Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and Jesus teaches on lots of different things there. And what if we read those as a church and just said, God, teach me. What is it you want me to learn from my Savior here? Continue to work in me. Help me understand. Help shape me. And so would you commit to that? Would you commit to joining me in reading that? Or if you've you've been in a reading plan that just finished reading through the Sermon on the Mount, you can pick any other passage where Jesus taught and just ask God, keep teaching me. Keep helping me learn and understand from my Savior. These truths about Jesus are good news for us, right? I started by talking about sometimes it feels like this world is forsaken by God. And sometimes if we're honest, we feel like, I don't know why God hasn't forsaken us. Why hasn't He just said, all right, I'm done, no more. But what we see here, that God hasn't forsaken us. I've heard Ray Ortland say it several times that uh, what we what we see that God has accomplished for us through Jesus Christ, one thing that we can never say is that we are God forsaken. No matter what, what He has done for us in sending His own Son to live a perfect life of obedience for us and then to die in our place so that we could be forgiven and be adopted as sons and daughters of God, no matter what else goes wrong in this world, we cannot say that we're God forsaken because He did not forsake us. He sent Jesus for us. He actually sent His sons for these purposes to reveal His glory so that we could experience His presence, and so that we could have instruction from God. And so let's believe that, that this is who our Savior is, and let's continue to learn from Him and follow Him in obedience for His glory. Let's pray. Father, You are good and faithful. I thank You for... Uh, this series that we've been working through and, and seeing more and more revealed about who our Savior is. Continue to fill us with awe. Continue to cause us to be amazed by Your grace and mercy in our lives. Help us continue to learn about You through our Savior. Shape us into the people you want us to be for your glory, God. In Jesus' name, amen.